Grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles around you in the chairs in front of you here in the sanctuary. You can use an electronic device. One way or another, have the Bible open before you. If you're in our overflow or online, please hear from me the same invitation. We want this to be a space that the Word of God is open to you. So grab a Bible one way or another, open it up so that you can join us. That said, I found myself thinking when I asked you to turn to 1 John, uh, it's the last time, well, at least in this series. We've been making our way verse by verse through the book of 1 John, and we're finishing it this morning, getting to the last verse of, of our text, finishing up our study in 1 John. I don't know what that means to you. Maybe you're like, cool, what's next? Uh, we're probably going to stay and go, keep going to 2 John next time, so it'll feel kind of the same thing. Nevertheless, I find myself feeling sad. It's a weird thing. I mean, I'm not asking you to be there with me. I'm just telling you, when we end a Bible a study in the Bible, I feel like I'm saying goodbye to a friend. It's like that moment, you know, when you're in the airport and you're trying to figure out, like, what are you, like, bye, you know, see you again someday, you know, it's like this weird kind of thing, but it kind of feels that way. And so I'm kind of sad at this moment that we're finishing and yet glad for what God has done. So with that before us, we're there. Let's see what he has in this final verse for us in 1 John. Let's ask him for it together in prayer. Would you join me right now? I'm going to lead, but I hope you would pray as well. Father, here we are needing to hear from you. Thank you that your word is alive and is powerful. Lord, believing that, we ask that we would be those who would hear it this morning. On your side, there's faithfulness. On our side, Lord, would you grant us help right now? Would you break up the fallow ground of our hearts? Would you give us ears to hear those things which you would say to us? Holy Spirit, would you teach us effectively? Would you do life-giving work here right now that you and you alone can do? Just asking for that right now, for each one of us, just to hear your voice. And I pray for that. We pray for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In a world that is filled with distractions, one of the great needs is to stay focused to keep the, kind of the, focused on the main things. That is always true. And I want to tell you, as we gaze into this, this section this morning, I believe it's that which God would want to speak to us. Well, hear it with me if you have. You have your Bibles open there. Let's notice we're only covering one verse this morning, the last one. So there in verse 21, it reads this way. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Little children, one more time, just one verse. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Hey, grab with me for a moment as we get to this final verse of 1 John. It's a little bit of a surprising conclusion. Surprising? Yeah, I mean, here he's got this announcement where he's telling us, you know, looking at this, telling us what we need, and he's just telling us, hey, keep yourselves from idols. Like, stay away from those. As he makes that statement, I find myself just surprised. Surprised because that's not how I would have anticipated the book ending. If you've been with us in our series in 1 John, I wonder what you remember most. I wonder what you remember from this book that God has told us. There's been many things. I find myself thinking back to the first chapter where we began to unpack fellowship inviting us to have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another and how rich that was. It would not have surprised me if John had ended his book and said, hey, make sure you stay in fellowship. 
I, I loved that we got to the end of chapter 1 and we talked about the power of forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9, and this reality of our sin being washed away. It wouldn't have surprised me if 1 John had ended, but like, hey, you know, make sure you're just walking in that beauty of forgiveness. He talked about overcoming sin and the power of Christ to overcome sin and, and the wonder of it. And I wouldn't have been surprised if that had been there. I love the theme of abiding in Christ that's found in the book of 1 John, that we talked about it for weeks and weeks. And I just honestly, it wouldn't have surprised me if it got to the end of the first letter of 1 John, he says, and, and don't forget, keep abiding, like abide in Jesus. I, it would have just like rang true for me. Or maybe just the idea of assurance of salvation. If you've been with us in our series of 1 John, we've talked about that a bunch of times. That there is a way to have a true biblical assurance. Wouldn't have surprised me if that had been the last verse, that he would have said, hey, and make sure that you know, walk in this confidence that's in Christ. One way or another, I would have been like, cool, that, that, that's, that works. But to have him here say, keep yourselves from idols, I just want you to understand it's a little bit shocking. Shocking in a number of ways. For starters, catch this, John has not used that word yet. In fact, it's the only time in all of John's writings that he uses the word idol. He doesn't use it anywhere else in 1 John. He doesn't use it in 2 John, 3 John. He doesn't even use it in the Gospel of John. This is the only time he uses the word idol. So it's kind of surprising that that would be the final thing he would say. I mean, if we had been talking about it, it would have been like, oh yeah, yeah, we talked about that. Instead, it's just almost out of the blue, almost just this shot across the bow in a sense that's just like, wait, what? And yet I would hold out to you, I think that's part of the point. I think that's kind of how it's meant to end. It's kind of meant to be this thing that makes you, if you're paying attention, do almost a double take. Again, I kind of told you that for me, it's when you kind of get to the end of a book, you almost get to that place and you're standing in the, you know, place in the airport and you're like, bye. And, you know, there's like things you expect somebody to say at that moment, like, see you later, you know, we'll, 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 we'll write. I mean, I don't know. But if someone said something totally out of the blue, it'd be like, wait, wait, what? Like, why, why do you, like, that's not what I expected you to say. I think that's how it's meant to do. I think God and it's intentional uh, is ending the book in a way that if you're paying attention, you'd be saying, that's a really weird way to end this book. We haven't even talked about this. I don't, we're like, why say it this way? It's meant to be surprising. It's meant to catch your attention. But also understand this, there's a very real tenderness to it. Boy, he makes this statement and he says it, you see it at the very beginning of it. He uses that phrase, little children. It's not the first time that John's used that. In fact, he's used it all the way through the letter. He's used it over and over. In fact, he got it from Jesus. Jesus spoke it, and John records it there in the book of the, the Gospel of John. This place of, of an address that would speak to those who are, who are listening, and he does so very intentionally. When he uses these words, it's worth noting a couple of things. For starters, it's an address to Christians. When you use that term, little children, it's used of speaking to believers. In fact, in chapter 3, he told us, Behold what manner of love that the Father has given to us that we get to be called the children of God. I mean, like this is real. This is who we are. And so when John uses this phrase, he's talking to Christians. 
He's not talking to people who are not yet followers of Jesus. He's talking to Christians, and that's a helpful statement. It'll help guide us more in where we're going, that we understand that this exhortation to keep from idols, we're not talking to an unbeliever. We're actually talking to believers, and we, as followers in Christ, need to hear that. Well, we'll come back to that. At the same moment as you hear who's being spoken to, hear the tone of voice. Little children, it's an affectionate it's this really tender way of addressing. Uh, I recognize in English, it doesn't land in quite the same way. In fact, in English, it could almost sound diminutive. It could almost sound like you're being insulting, like you're a little child. Like, well, why don't you call me a little child? You know, I mean, we could just be that way. I just want you to know that's, that's not the way this lands. Uh, that's not the way this comes across. It comes across in a way that, that's meant for us to hear it, in a way that's meant for us to hear this tender, loving, uh, like I care about you. And that's helpful because sometimes God does this in a way that helps us get the tone of voice. If you didn't catch the tone of voice, you might have heard almost an angry statement. Keep yourself from idols. You know, and you're like, okay, okay, I'm trying. You know, it's like, instead it's like, no, I love you. I love you. You're children of God. Hey, stay away from this. Like, hear me as I'm, as I'm saying this final thing. I, I love you, and, and I want you to hear that. And so he sets that tone of voice in a way that would be very, very helpful for us to understand, in a way that we would find ourselves saying, hey, that's good. Um, that, that's a needed thing. That's, that's a, it's a loving thing. And if you hear anything else this morning, may it be in that tone of voice that you hear that God is saying it that way. So it's surprising it's tender, but it is, in one sense, this exhortation, an exhortation that is a call to diligence, a place for you and I to, to hear it. For he says it this way, keep yourselves from idols. Keep. Hey, hear that first. In fact, hear it as a very powerful word. Uh, the word keep has the idea of something that you really intentionally need to do, like, this is something that, it's not something that you faced five years ago or ten years ago. It's a place of saying, hey, you actively need to do this. And if I'm able to communicate this well, by the end of the morning, you will hear it in a way of saying, that is something that I did need to hear. Because, see, the danger is, you could hear this as an altogether unnecessary instruction. Keep yourself from idols. You know, for some of you, I, I, it's almost like one of those things, if, you know, you ever gotten on, on like a plane from Roswell and maybe you're going over to Texas and they have to go through like the announcements and then they talk about using the, the, the seat cushion as a flotation device. Do you ever find yourself thinking like, where? Like <laughs> Lake Van, I don't know. I mean, like, like where is this ever going to be needed as a flotation device? Like this is not good. I mean, I don't even know what, the, I mean, sometimes you can hear things like that and you think, I, this is not a piece of instruction that I need. I do not need to hear this. And I want to tell you, if you hear this wrongly, you'll feel that way. You'll feel like, I don't even know why I'm sitting here this morning. This is not something I needed to hear. That is not something I'm dealing with, but I'm telling you it is. And if you get it, it would be something that you are invited to, but that you personally need to do. He says, keep yourself, that you personally need to work this into your life. I can't do this for you. I cannot do this for you. Your spouse cannot do this for you. Your friend cannot do this for you. What this is inviting you to is to something that you're going to have to actively, intentionally, and consistently do. 
that there's a place where it's like, okay, yeah, I need to keep this in my life. I need to keep myself from idols. So we get a little bit of the tense. We get a little bit of how this is beginning. We hear this statement that's going to be telling us, hey, keep yourself from idols. And we've kind of tried to make sure we heard it. It's surprising, but tender, but it is an exhortation. May it be heard by you in that way this morning. But what exactly is it warning us about? Keep yourself from idols, right? That's what it says, little children. Keep yourself from idols. What's an idol? Well, in a definition way, an idol is a man-made god. It's an man-made god. It specifically speaks in the, in the, in the wording of it, of, of an image of a god or a representation of a god. But I think for us, it's probably well enough to say that it's a man-made god. So we want to think about that. Let me kind of scoot that up on the screen so we have a little bit of space there as we think about what this looks like. And as we think about this, it does connect. Because here's the reality you need to make sure you hear clearly from the gospel of, I mean, the, the letter of 1 John. There's only one God. There's only one God, and there's only one way. If you were with us last week, that's what we talked about. We, we kind of gotten to this place, and we were looking back over everything that we were saying. And as John began to land it, he said it this way. Go back to verse 20 with me just for a moment. And he says, and we know that the Son of God, Jesus, has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This He said, this is the true God and eternal life. This is the true, or if you were with us last week, the authentic. This is the real deal. This is the real deal. This is the real God. And everything else out there that pretends to be a God, it is a lie. There are no other gods. There are no other gods anywhere. Everything else that goes by the name God or that is called a God, it's actually a man-made lie. They don't exist. In eternity, in the realm of everything, there's one God. There's only one God. Now, I think about it. I don't know what you think about when... John speaks this to us and tells us, okay, keep yourself from idols. And so we think about people who worship idols or worship other gods. And maybe in your mind, like mine, you find yourself thinking of like these little statues, you know, kind of thing where there's gold little things or whatever, and people burn incense or sacrifice or kneel before. And truthfully, those are idols. Those are idols. And the Bible's really clear about this. What a dumb thing they are to, to worship anything that isn't a God because these aren't. We talked about it a little bit last week, but I like how in Psalm 115, God says it this way. He says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. Kind of in this place, he says, okay, there's one God, and our God is God. Like He's the real God. And he's sovereign, and he's mighty, and he is powerful, and he does whatever he pleases. On the other hand, their gods, they're like silver and gold. Or it says it there, they're the work of man's hands. I said it differently, but I was saying the same thing. They're man-made. They're man-made. Uh, they're not gods. They didn't make themselves. They're not real. Somebody made them up. Somebody made them up. And yet they don't do any good. 
We talked about it again last week, and I won't have time to go back through it, but God goes through the rest of parts of Psalm 115 and just takes time to almost just mock them. Like they have hands, and they can't do anything. These, these idols have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. And he says they are so ineffective. Anybody who would worship another god, it's as if you're looking at something that cannot help you. He goes on, it just says it this way, those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. He says, if you, for someone who embraces this, who makes an idol, it actually begins to work the same folly in you. The plastic, phony, fakeness that's found there, it begins to become a part of that, and it's a tragic, real reality. And he's just inviting them and inviting us, hey, don't do that. Don't let your trust be in that. So we think about this call that John has here in 1 John, stay away from idols, keep away from idols. And I want to make sure that I say it this way, there is a gospel hope in the midst of this. There is a hope of truth and life in the midst of this. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you are one who's outside of that. Maybe you believe in another God. Maybe you're a part of another religion. Hear us lovingly and carefully. There's one God and there's only one way. Jesus said it so well. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only, there's only one God, and there's only one way, and that way is Jesus. So every other attempt to get to heaven will fail. Every other road that anybody's on, it's going to fail. If you're on a road right now that you think you're going to get to heaven because you're a good person, because your good works outweigh your bad, or you're part of a cult, or you're part of another religion, then Jesus is so clear. That's not going to work for you. That's going to end in destruction. That's going to is in dismal failure. Get off that road now. Because the only way to God, the only way to life is inside Jesus. And so Jesus is the way. He is the life. Nobody can get to the Father except through him. So if you're following any other thing, then hear the gospel hope in the midst of this. Hear the place that would say there's good news. There is a way. There is a rescue. But it's one way. There's one way, and that way is Jesus. And if that needs to rescue you this morning, if you're in that space, we are pleading with you today to surrender your life to Jesus. We are pleading with you to come to him. And if you need to talk to us about that, come and talk to us about that. So though there's a gospel nugget in this, and there's a hope in there where I can say this, but let's go back to it and understand, but that's not what it's intentionally saying, right? We already talked about it. Little children, keep yourself from idols. This is for Christians. We're not talking to those who are worshiping a false god and need to come to the truth. That's not the essence of what's being said here, though again, hey, if that's you, come, come to Christ. Instead, he is addressing those who are followers of Jesus. So is he telling us not to worship some of these other false gods at the same time, not to mix the worship of the true God with some of the things that are false gods? That's a serious deal, by the way. That is attempted at times by people. Paul would talk about it in 1 Corinthians and kind of mixing it together in people's lives, telling us all those false idols, they're demonically empowered. Hey, don't, what fellowship can we have with that? There is not meant to be a space for that. That's a good place for us to be warned away from because at times Christians do try to worship more than one thing. It just can't work. Think about it this way. When Paul was exhorting us, he said it this way in Colossians 3, therefore put to death your members which are on earth, 
fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and then catch it there, and covetousness, which, by the way, that's idolatry. Yeah, covetousness, where we put our longing for money or put our trust in money, that's idolatry. And there is a call away from this. Jesus spoke about it. Some of you knew it there in the Sermon on the Mount where he said, you can't do it. Nobody can love two masters. You will love one or the other. And if you allow money to be the competition, one of those are going to become the dominant one. And if you try to do it, you cannot do it. And so there is an exhortation. There is a place of telling us, hey, you can't have two gods. You, you, you can't, you're not made that way. In fact, I love the way that Jesus said it there in the Sermon on the Mount. Nobody can serve two masters. You know, I serve one. So there is an exhortation that would say, hey, stay away from false gods. And again, where that needs to be heard this morning, I just want it to be heard. If that's you and you're like, okay, I think I'm doing that, be rescued. Be rescued from that. But though that's a needed exhortation within the scriptures, it's not been anything we've really been talking about in 1 John. That's not what 1 John has been about. John has not been talking to us about uh, idolatry or uh, even, you know, the love of money. He's not, he's not been diving into that. Yeah, at one place he talked about the love of the world, but it was a contrast to the love of Christ. And so, yeah, that's not been really the focus of it. So as we, if, we're, if this is kind of like a closing statement over the letter of 1 John, it's probably not a statement that's urging us away from trying to have two gods. Although, again, if you are, don't. You can't. Jesus only. you got to just have him, and so let it land. So then what is he speaking about? What's this place where he is inviting us away, commanding us away from idolatry? Idols can be representations of other gods. But biblically, idols can also be wrong representations of the true God. Yeah, see, idols can be man-made objects or doctrines that get between us and God. Idols, sometimes that word idol refers to something that gets between us and God, which so often pretends to be something that's going to help us pretends to be something like, hey, this would help you get close to God, but it doesn't. It becomes a hindrance. If you're trying to wrap your mind around it, think about it this way. So Stephen is giving his history lesson there in Acts chapter 7, and he looks back to the children of Israel there at Mount Sinai, and uh, they come before Aaron, and they say to him, hey, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. They're right there. Moses is up on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments. I mean, and they get tired of waiting for him. And so finally they're like, Aaron, make us a God. Make us something visible. Make us something that we can see. So they do. They make a calf, a golden calf in those days. And they offered sacrifices, and here's again for you to notice, to the idol. That golden calf was an idol. And they rejoiced in the works of their hands. It was a man-made uh, thing. They worked it in what they do. And yet that representation that Aaron made there, this golden calf, it's an idol. But was it an idol for a different god? Were they, was, was Aaron presenting the worship of Baal or Molech or something else? No, no. He was offering them to worship the true god in a wrong way. 
fact, it's interesting. We go back to Exodus and the account of that, and it gives it to us this way. Then he, Aaron, he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool, and he made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Yeah, when they built this little golden calf kind of thing, it wasn't meant to be a different God. It was a physical representation for them of the true God, where they're saying, hey, here's its tangible. Here it is to come and worship. And they began to worship it as that. And that can be idolatry. You know, kind of an almost tragic moment is, again, just to pause and recognize. So this is what's happening at the bottom of Mount Sinai. If you know your Bibles, up on top of Mount Sinai, Moses is getting the Ten Commandments. He's getting the Ten Commandments written by God for His people, things that are meant to govern them. And if you know it, and some of you do by heart, you would know that that first commandment uh, that He gave him, He says that you shall have no other gods before me. Number one, there's only one God. There's only one God. That's clear. In fact, that's something they're still holding to. Number two, though, you shall not make for yourself a carved image any likeness in anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath, that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them and serve them. Like, don't build a carved image to worship me, God says. Don't build a representation because it would always go wrong. It would always go wrong. And the tragic reality is that is exactly what they're doing at the bottom of Mount Sinai. They're exactly doing this wrong thing. And that's a horrendous picture. So we gaze onto this right now, and I want to just put before you that as we're ending the book of 1 John, that's a good ending, because that has been the, the context of 1 John. That has been one of the things that we've been talking about, that which is true, the real God, having a real relationship with Him through Jesus. That has been something we've been talking about all the way through. In fact, for many Bible students who look at 1 John, they recognize that one of the things that John was doing was standing against some of the lies that had begun to permeate the church. Early lies of Gnosticism, false teachings uh, about ways to know God. And so in one kind of almost picturesque way, John just says, that's idolatry. Worship the right God the wrong way, follow a man-made system, instead of actually coming to God the way that he told us to come, that's idolatry. And that has been the, the message of 1 John. That has been what he's saying. And I would put before you that that is what God wants you to hear this morning. That this statement of keep yourself from idols is a statement that's warning you and I away from worshiping the true God in a man-made way. And a man-made, not way, that's not centered in Christ, that's not centered in who he is and what he has for us. And so many things can be those idols. You know, we're just not going to have time to even explore all that there is because there's so much we could talk about. Maybe we'll come back and talk about a few at the end, but I'm just telling you, anything that gets between you and God, anything that gets between you and Jesus becomes this thing that this passage is warning you and I about the danger of, you and I about just turning away from it. I found myself thinking about that and was reading this morning. Maybe some of you are reading with us in the, in the daily reading as a church, and so you were there in Mark's gospel, and it was kind of a sad reality uh, because in these chapters, it really is a picture of, of where Israel is rejecting Jesus, 
where Jesus comes in in chapter 11, presents himself in the triumphal entry, shows himself to be who they need, and almost in this finality of places, Israel's rejecting, saying, no, like we don't want Jesus. I mean, we want the real God, we just don't want Jesus. And, and, and so Jesus begins to try to explain that to him, and he does this parable where he talks about how that, you know, uh, this picture of a landowner and, and people who are really trying to, to rip off the things that are there. And again, if you read that, uh, you can dive more into that uh, in your own. But as he's explaining, he just looks back upon this and he says, have you never read, have you never read the scriptures, that this stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? He says, what's happening right now is exactly what God said it would happen out of Psalm 118, that the builders, speaking of the nation of Israel, the, the leaders there, they're rejecting the very foundation of everything that God's wanting to build. They're rejecting, he says, this is exactly what God said would happen, but it's a tragic thing. It's a tragic thing when people who say they want God reject the only way to actually know God, which is, which is Jesus, and it's a tragic thing. But yet to look at Christ, to look at what he has for us is something that's meant to be beautiful. In fact, I like the way it goes on to say it. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is, this is to see God giving Christ, to say, okay, here's the way. It's meant to be beautiful. It's meant to be amazing. And, and God is calling us to that, that we would say, okay, it's Jesus. To, to, to know Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus, to have this, this place where Jesus is the only way we can get to God. Yeah, that's what we need. That is so certainly what we need. And we don't want to have anything that moves away. We want to find that to be beautiful in our eyes. We want to find God's access and what he gives us in Christ to be beautiful. May it be so for us. So idols are this idea of a man-made God or a man-made attempt to know the true God probably here in our text. When we think about this, I want you to think about this, that idols are pernicious. They can get a hold of things, and the idea what I want to say at this moment is once embraced, they're hard to break. Now, before we talk about that, let me just pause and say, I want to say this very carefully, and I also want to say it very honestly. You know, one of the things I like to do is to teach uh, in, in the Bible and, and to teach it in such a way that you'll see, hey, that what I'm teaching is exactly what's in the text. So that I like the way it talks about in Acts, the Bereans, they you know, were able to leave a Bible study and they were able to go back and say, you know, okay, I get it. Yeah, it's right there. Like, that's where he got it. Well, if you go back and try to find this, it's a little bit harder. I think it's present. I think it's in the idea of keeping watch. Nevertheless, uh, it's something that I, I just want to present to you as the way that I would see this. And if you see it differently, it's enough for me to say I am kind of, you know, referencing this from other places in the scripture. I hope that makes sense. But I'll tell you this, every time I read this, it lands this way for me. Every time I read the letter of 1 John and I get to this last verse, I think about this thought because the idea is that idolatry, it is so dangerous, and, and once it takes hold, it's hard at times to break. And for you Bible students, I'll simply give it to you this way. I just tell you about the sin of Jeroboam. I can tell you about the sin of Jeroboam. Let me quickly unpack it for you. Lots more we had if we had time to do it. So David is the king of Israel. It's a glorious kingdom. He's a man after God's heart. Not perfect, but good. He dies. His son Solomon becomes king. Again, the kingdom goes forward. Israel's doing really well. But after Solomon dies, Israel actually enters into a civil war, a civil war that separates the nation. 
And for almost 350 years, they are separated so that you end up having a northern kingdom that's called Israel for a little while and a southern kingdom that's called Judah. It's a horrendous split that God eventually heals when he brings them back from the land of Babylon, but it lasts again for almost 350 years. Well, at the very beginning of that split, the northern kingdom is splitting away and they split away under a man named Jeroboam who becomes the king there up in the north. And it tells us in 1 Kings chapter 12 that Jeroboam says in his heart, now, the kingdom may return to the house of David. He says, Here's, I'm a little bit worried about this. So you're just invited into his actual motivation. This is what he's saying in his heart. I'm worried. I'm worried that they may go back. I'm worried that they, that they may go there. He says, if this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord Jeroboam, king of Judah. So Jerusalem is where the temple is. Solomon has just built it. It's glorious. It's beautiful. One of the wonders of the world. It's a fulfillment, and there is where God says, here's where you're supposed to worship. Here's where you're supposed to come and worship me. That's biblical. That's what God designs. But Jeroboam begins to think, you know, if the people from the northern kingdom actually go to Jerusalem to worship, they may decide that they just want to be a part of the southern kingdom. They may think, well, why, not? why, why, are we, why did we break away? Why are we you know, kind of having this civil war kind of thing? Therefore, the king asked advice, and he made two calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. He comes up with this idea, says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build two golden calves. And he says, you know, it's just, Jerusalem is so far. It's just so hard. I just want to make it easy for you guys. I'm really thinking about you. And lie. Um, you know, but in the midst, he says, I really want to do this for you and make this easy for you so you can worship not a different God, but the true God in a wrong way a true God in a way that God said not to do. Now, he comes up with this all by his own. He sets them up in two places, set one up in Bethel, the other he put in Dan. And then in just a statement of, this thing became sin. This was a sin that this landed upon the nation of Israel. More on that in a moment. But it's enough again to understand this is a man-made attempt to worship God. In fact, it goes on to say, he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the 15th, on the 8th month, in a month which he had devised out of his own heart. Man-made. He thought it up all by himself. He's not getting this from God. He's not walking in obedience to God. He's creating his own way to worship. It was a horrendous sin. It was a sin that is idolatry, that is something sad and tragic. But the thing that is, to me, the most tragic thing is that once it started up there in the northern kingdom, it was never broken while there's still kind of in this separated place. Yet Jeroboam does this, and then if we had time, we would go through and read all of them. Let me just read a few for you. So after Jeroboam, there's another king, Zimri, comes up. He dies because of the sins which he had committed and doing evil in the sight of the Lord and walking in the way of Jeroboam. And in his sin, which he had committed to make Israel sin. So Jeroboam made Israel sin, and Zimri, he just keeps doing it. 
Omri comes on the scene, and it says, He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and his sin by which he had made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Again, idols are a part of it. And he just says, hey, that's, it, just, it was a tragic reality. So king after king after king does it. Ahaziah comes on the scene. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, walked in the ways of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. It gets really bad up in the northern kingdom. Not only are they doing this, eventually they begin to mix this up with other uh, worship. They do start worshiping other gods. They start worshiping Baal and, 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 and the other gods that are in the midst of this. And there's a little bit of a revival. That's not really a good term because it's not totally a revival. But there is a turning away from the false gods when Jehu becomes king. Jehu destroys Baal from Israel. However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. That is from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. So it's this terrible picture. I mean, Israel gets really, really bad. And, you know, Jehu comes on the scene and he brings them back to worship the real God. But he still worships the real God in the wrong way. He still only comes that far. Jehu took no heed, it says, to walk in the law of the Lord as God of Israel with all his heart. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin. So king after king after king after king, nobody stops. Nobody stops this idolatry that has been put into place in the northern kingdom. So strong is that eventually it becomes one of the key reasons why they go into captivity. It tells us in chapter 17, now the king of Assyria went up throughout all the land and took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria. So this is the king of Assyria. It's not the same thing as the Babylonian captivity for you Bible students. Uh, that's what's going to happen to the southern kingdom. This happens before that, where Assyria comes up and says, you know, and conquers them and literally takes the northern kingdoms away, literally parades them away and, and takes them into captivity. Why? What, what's, what's happening in the midst of this? Well, he tells us about their sins, and it goes on and says, Jeroboam drove them from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. Since it was Jer Jeroboam made this, he made them sin. And nobody would stop. Nobody would stop. Nobody would turn away from it until God actually takes them away. This actually does become the cure. Uh, they go into captivity, and eventually when they, uh, they, all the nation of Israel comes back out of the Babylonian captivity, they, they never reset up this false system. They never set up the, this whole thing. It's destroyed here, but it's not until God sends them into horrendous judgment. So think about this just for a moment. The sin of Jeroboam, it lasts for nine different dynasties, for 19 different kings. It lasts for over 200 years without stop. So once Jeroboam introduces this wrong way to worship the true God, nobody stops. It's never broken. No king has the, the, the wherewithal to put an end to it. It grabs a hold of the northern kingdom until God has to just send them into horrendous judgment to finally break them of this you know, wrong way of worshiping the true God. And that's a scary thing. That's a scary thing. 
It is that exhortation that invites me to say, this is what makes this so important that you hear this. This is one of the things that makes it so important that you hear how dangerous this is. Now, again, I'm going to say, make a couple statements in a very passing way, and it's not enough time to unpack all of it, though I think it's enough that for some of you, you'll understand. So worshiping the right God in the wrong way, it's constantly been a problem. It became a problem for the church. Um, it became a problem uh, in what eventually became the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, it didn't start off that way originally, and it continued to grow, but it continued to happen. So that for some who worship God within that system, I would say to you there is a, a great deal of idolatry. Uh, there's the worship of Mary. Uh, there's the worship of images. There's the worship of saints. There's the worship of the priests. All of these become things that I would put before you that they are dangerous and they're idolatrous. But here's the thing, hard to break. See, I don't know how this works, but I'm just kind of curious. So if God has drawn you to Christ out of Catholicism, like that was your background or family, and he's brought you to a relationship with Christ, could you just raise your hands real fast? I'm just kind of curious. How many of you kind of came out of that? Numbers. A number of you came out of it. You can put your hands down. Here's what I'm going to just express to you who are just kind and bold enough to raise your hands. You probably understand this better. See, I bet you for some of you, it's still a little bit of struggle, just a little bit. There were things that's like, man, I just, I mean, you just got used to doing it that way. I mean, in some ways, it was tangible. This invisible God, you know, now you had something that you could do and, and walk through. And once that takes hold, it is really, really hard to break. If you have broken that and it's been broken in your life, well done. You are an exception uh, and, and a good exception. But some of you who are right there who raised your hand, you already know. You're like, I know people who have not done it. You shared the gospel with them. You told them about the wonder of Jesus, about the finished work on the cross, and how they too could have a, a life of faith and belief. And for some of them, they were just so close. They're like, yeah, yeah, but, you know, I'm just, I'm just used to this. I, and, and you would say, it's just, it's really hard. Once idolatry takes part and takes hold of a life, this kind of idolatry, it is just so capturing. And I want to say that in such a way that it would make this, I hope, enough of a warning that you would say, I don't want, to, I don't want that to happen to me. Because if it takes hold and it's hard to break that once it takes hold, it would make this so much more worth your hearing. That you need to say, keep yourself from that. Don't let something get there. Not only because it's wrong, but it is hard to break. It is hard to break. May the sin of Jeroboam scare you enough to say, okay, God, I don't want to go there. I don't want that to be where I am. So let's say this, in a, we've said it, we've already kind of articulated it, but I, I want to come back and just say it very, very clearly. Keep yourself from idols. What is it saying? Idols are distracting. Idols are distracting. They have a propensity of keeping us from worshiping the real God in the right way. There is one God, only one God. And there's one way. And that way is Jesus. That way is Jesus. This is this relationship that we get to have that Jesus is the way, uh, the truth, and the life. And one of the great keys 
of the real Christian life lived out is you don't lose sight of that. To, to say it in that maybe familiar way, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah, sometimes used in business, so much more true here, the main thing. In Christian life, the main thing in Christianity is to keep the main thing. The main thing. What's the main thing? The main thing is Jesus. We're to fix our eyes on him, the author and finisher of our faith. The main thing is this relationship with Jesus and really having this connection, really having this life in him. I think about it. Some of you are reading again there in Mark and, uh, you know, sorry, let me back up. I got ahead of myself. Um, so, sorry, let me get there. So we think about, you know, what this looks like and, and we think about this call that there's one way, there, there's, there's one access and there's this place of having this relationship with Jesus and, and having him be the main thing. I like the way the Amplified Bible translates this. So it does it this way. The Amplified is a Bible that uh, kind of take, tries to take the Greek language and put it in a, in a way that you can kind of cover everything that's there. So it says, little children, keep yourself from idols. And then kind of lets us know what an idol is. An idol is a false god. Then it puts in parenthesis because this isn't really a translation. This is more of an explanation uh, kind of a commentary on it, they would, we would say it that way. He says, keep yourself from anything and everything that would occupy the place in your heart due to God and from any sort of substitute for him that would take first place in your life. And I just want to say, uh, yeah, that. Like, that's what he's saying. I mean, it's not the way, the, it's, what the way it's kind of getting the heart at. Keep yourself from anything letting anything that would take you away from having Jesus be the main thing, to keep you away from that heart due to God that you'd have any substitute for him that would take that first place in your life. It's why the New Living Translation kind of puts it that way. It would say it this way, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Probably a good commentary on it, not a great translation on it in this part because it's not what it's actually saying. Nevertheless, it's a good way of saying it, and I like it because that's what I want you to hear. There's a place where God is inviting you to say, hey, this is what we need. Like, we need this relationship with Jesus. Like, this is what he's inviting us to. This is, this is what it is, and, and that's what we need. So anything that gets between you and God through Jesus it becomes an idol. Anything that even purports to be helpful in knowing God that's a man-made thing that gets between you and him, it can become idolatry. And there is no end of what that could actually look like. Again, we don't have time to explore everything. I talked to you about the Catholic Church, and I'll tell you, I think it is. I mean, those who, well, you know, this is helpful. You know, I think I'm worshiping God. It's like, no, you're not. You're worshiping Mary, and you're worshiping a saint. And you're, you, you've, every moment you've invested into that lie, you have missed the main thing. You've missed Jesus. You've missed the, the relationship with Jesus, and you have been robbed, and you've been robbed. And that tragedy kind of continues. Sometimes it happens without us even intending to do it. We kind of get our eyes off of the main thing, and we get onto something else. Sometimes we can get our eyes on a church, and we begin to kind of worship a church and be like, well, this church is amazing. I love this church. Or sometimes it can be on a man. You know, it can be on a pastor. And you'd be like, oh, that's, that's, we just love this pastor. And he's just so cool. And, and it's one of those things that happens. I mean, for me, it's happened a number of times where, uh, you know, sometimes those pastors that you kind of put on a pedestal, they, they wobble. 
they stumble or they fall. And one of the things that inevitably happens is I have to ask myself, where was my eyes? Like, like was my eyes on that? Because if I was on man, I was going to be disappointed anyway. You know, if my eyes are on Christ, it's like, well, you know what? I, I, I'm on him. I'm on him. And whatever that would be, if, it, if it's a person, if it's a church, even if it's a philosophical or religious system or a theology, those can become all this. And I can say a hundred things that would be there, but I just want to say it simply the way that John says it. Keep yourself from it. Stay away from anything that would get in the way of this. So if you're reading with us in Mark's gospel, you read here in Mark 12, where Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing? And he said, you know, the first of all commandments is... Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's only one God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is number one. This is the first commandment. So he says it twice, before and after. Hey, this is the most important thing. So here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering where that is in your life. There's one thing. It's the most important thing. It is the most important thing. It's loving God, having a relationship with God that's in Christ. Now, if you have heard that, and if you believe that, if you believe what I'm saying, and you know that that's the most important thing, then to you who know this, here's what I want you to understand. It's a struggle, isn't it? I mean, I know this. For anybody that tries to keep their focus on Christ, you will admit, man, things get in the way. Like every, it's like, it seems like in Christ, you're always having to like, get my eyes back on Jesus. Like, get my eyes on him. I, I, was not, I was trying to keep my eyes on Jesus. And then all of a sudden, it was a little bit off. And then all of a sudden, life is not going well. So what happened? It's like, I took my eyes off of Jesus again. Like, I, I, I took my eyes off of him, and kind of like Peter walking on the water, I began to sink, you know, at that moment when I was like, just stop doing that. Like, just keep my eyes on Jesus. And so if that's you this morning, I just want to just speak it in the most kind and loving way. Hey, hey fellow Christians, let's keep our, mind, our eyes off of idols. They mess us up. And you would say, uh, true, true, because I'm trying so hard to get my eyes on Jesus. Now, if that doesn't land for you, I'm actually a little bit more concerned about you. If you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor Jim. Don't even know. Well, then I would put to you, I don't think you have your eyes on Jesus. If it's not a struggle to keep your eyes there, then I would put to you, you probably have not even figured it out yet. And I don't say that to be cruel, but to invite you. You need Jesus. He is everything to us. We, we, we need life in Christ. We need hope in Christ. He is abiding in Christ. We need to fix our eyes on him, the author and finisher of our faith. Our whole life is found in him. That the whole Christian life is found in this place of like, I am just keeping my eyes on Jesus. And to that end, this is where this lands. This is where this lands. Where John gets to the end of his letter and he does so again in a way that is surprising tender, but this place of a diligent exhortation, he just says, hey, don't do it. Don't let anything turn your eyes away from that because that would become idolatry. And maybe we just needed to hear it. Maybe we just need to hear it because at times we forget that those are. You know, we forget that if something gets between us and God, even if it's a golden calf that's supposed to be helping us connect with God, it doesn't. And sometimes we just need to say, that's an idol that's an idol. I don't need that. I need Jesus. I need to keep the main thing the main thing. I desperately need this, this love, this life that's found 
in Christ. And so he gives it to us this way, and you saw it, but see it again as we kind of pull this to a close. There in verse 21, he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And then the book just ends with, amen. Amen, we use it all the time, but just in case you, you, you don't know, that's a Hebrew word taken out of the Old Testament that has the idea of make it so. Would it be so? Like It's just like, yes, do that. It's a prayer that is a prayer to God, and it's a good way for us to end, and I want to tell you it's how I'm ending. May God make this so in you. May God take all that we've seen in 1 John, and may he keep you eyes fixed on Jesus. May you be those who know him, see him, and don't let anything turn your eyes away from him. We'll close there so you can close your Bibles, your notebooks, those things which you have open. And I'm going to invite you just to pray. Maybe this morning we've covered this and talking earlier, you're that person that doesn't have a relationship with God. There's one God, there's one way. And if you're outside of that, we invite you to Jesus. We invite you to Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and life. Believe upon him and be saved. We plead with you to do that now. Come up and talk to us afterwards. We'd love to be a part of that. If that's you this morning, hear that. But for many of you, you're followers of Jesus. And I want to just lovingly say, this is not an unnecessary commandment. This is not something that would be like the, you know, seat cushion, you know, in your plane where it's never going to go down in Texas and hit water. This is needed. You're facing this right now. There are things that are trying to get your eyes off of Jesus. There are man-made attempts that would do this, and you consistently need to come back and say, oh, I need to keep away from idols. I need to be one that says, I want Jesus. I want him. I'm going I'm to keep my eyes there, and I'm going to fix my, my, uh, my life there. So may you be so rescued. May this be something that is consistently a part of your life doing that. So would you talk to him about that? I'm going to do the same thing. We're going to take this final moment and just give you a quiet moment to pray, and then we'll close together in worship in just a moment. God, I do pray right now for anyone who's here that's on the wrong road. A road that maybe they hope is going to lead them to heaven and it's not. Another religion, another philosophy. Jesus, you're it. You are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. Nobody gets to heaven without coming through you. Bring these that are outside of Christ into a relationship with you. We cry out for that right now. In your great favor, would you draw them now? Then to those of us who know you, thank you 
for this surprising, loving, needed exhortation. Would you help us to stay away from idols? Would you help us to very attentively and consistently not let man-made things get between us and you? May we come to you. May we we live this life of life in Christ and abiding in Christ and the liberty that's in Christ in such a joyous way. Bring us to you. Oh God, help us. Keep us from idols. We ask for this right now. In Jesus' name, amen.